Today's episode of Rates and Barrels is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 87. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we're going to discuss uh, one of the scenarios you know, with the possibility of the 2020 season being played entirely in Arizona and or Florida. Uh, how minor leaguers are going to be handled as part of a, a question that really hasn't been addressed all that much. So we're going to dive into some ways that that could happen. Uh, a lot of great mailbag questions that have been kind of gathering over the last couple of weeks. So we're going to work our way through those as well. Uh, how's it going for you on this Thursday? You know, it's going well. It's going well. It's my eldest eighth birthday today. And so since we are the powers that be in this household right now, we are the teachers and the cooks and the everything. Uh, we declared uh, no school today. It's a national holiday if the nation is our house. I think that's fair. And so he just got a 2,500-piece Lego set followed by a 1,500-piece Lego set, and we're hoping that that keeps him occupied for the day. <laughs> I was going to ask you, how, how far <laughs> do that many pieces go in a set? Like, How much time does that uh, buy you as a, as a parent? How much entertainment does that uh, get you? But a day per set or for both sets? The two sets are supposed to be for like 10-year-old and 16-year-olds. And um, one of them is two feet tall. It's a pirate ship that's two feet tall. The other is a Ninjago temple. He promised to have the Ninjago temple done by 6 o'clock when we're calling uh, the family members to, to have a little happy birthday. But he seems happy, which is good uh, because uh, this could be a sad time for him. But he likes friends, but um, he's a little bit more of a kind of a quiet, shy, introspective reader, uh, Lego type guy. So... Um, I don't think that he's super sad that there's not like uh, we're not teaming with children right now. He's supposed to be at a, like a bouncy playground type, one of those places you go where you jump around and they serve you bad pizza. But um, he hasn't uh, really said anything about that making him sad. So um, that's that to me is uh, a happy thing. Yeah, that's good. I hope he has a great day. I hope he enjoys the Lego sets as well. Uh, let's talk about the minor leaguers. Let's get into that for a bit, because mm. as I've thought through MLB's Biodome proposals, um, I've thought about it from some just practical roster management perspectives that kind of led me to the minor league question. If there's not a normal minor league season, I mean, if there's no major league season in most major league cities, if it's only isolated to one or two areas, Arizona and or Florida, that means we're not going to have baseball in Beloit and Appleton and the Quad Cities, right? We're not going to have baseball in Visalia. But that also means we're not going to have players playing who are ready to move up and fill in when players get hurt, which is where the expanded rosters comes from. I just wonder how much teams are going to want to expand rosters for the sake of continuing to develop some of their prospects. You know, if you have this sort of taxi squad on reserve comprised of your top prospects or most of your double A and triple A players who you feel are most ready to contribute something that looks more like a 40 man roster. Do you use those players in games against other teams, taxi squad prospect type players, right? Is there, is there a path for something like that to exist in these scenarios? That's, that's how this, that's how I envision it. I mean, this is how I envision the whole thing happening. I think it happens in Arizona I think it happens like it does. It, it is in Korea with the, the the temperature testing. I don't think it's a full quarantine. It wouldn't make any sense to have baseball under stricter rules than we have right now. <laughs> right now, we have a voluntary shelter in place 
situation for most of us. And if that's the situation, then so there's something more relaxed than this that's going to be how baseball comes out. So I think it's going to be the sort of thing where it's like, you know, we have recommendations. Uh, Please wear a mask. Please, please don't go very far. Please don't go to groups of more than 50 or or more than 20 or whatever it is. They'll have sort of uh, recommendations. You'll be able to have your family there. You'll be able to uh, play games and, and figure out some way to get to 8100 game schedule no uh no pro- no nobody in the fan nobody in the se- in the in the um in the seats but still like like you got to be within six feet at first base so the game will be played the way the game is played normally um and they're going to be in the clubhouse so they're going to be close to each other but if you get your temperature everyone gets tested for for covid going in and then after that everyone gets their temperature tested daily so that's the deal but what you're asking about now is the sort of secondary stuff, which is, uh, I'm sorry to say secondary for a minor league, it doesn't feel secondary, but it's the type of stuff that now I have players texting me about, which is like, what do I, what happens to me when I go on a rehab assignment? What happens with the minor leagues? What happens if I have to, I have a bereavement leave or I have to, I have to leave uh, on emergency? Like, you know, and I, to that last one, I would say, well, you're not, this isn't going to be a quarantine situation. You're not going to be sequestered. I don't think that makes sense. Uh, but, uh, you know, there will be some sort of when you'll get tested when you get back, you know, that sort of deal. Um, and so uh, we're, we're, it's going to be a weird reality, but I think that there is room within this to imagine also a minor league situation. So if we were just doing if we did Arizona or Florida split, I think there might actually be room to have the minor leaguers at the complex, because if you think about the very beginning of spring training, there are a ton of minor leaguers uh, at the complex. You know, it's before they kind of bring out the sorting hat. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like I did I did an interview with uh, uh, Jason Ochai, which I still haven't transcribed because it's an hour friggin long and I don't, <laughs> I don't have any time. But um, uh, when after I did the interview with Jason Ochai, I talked to three or four of his minor league hitters. And all I did was walk o- over from the major the major league spring training camp uh, f- to the minor league one. And uh, there were just minor leaguers coming through and leaving as I was talking to them. So these facilities have the backfields. They do have a setup to to handle uh, the minor leagues. However, if you do an Arizona-only strategy, you can't fit all the teams in Arizona. But maybe you have a lighter schedule for the minor leagues where you split the minor leagues into Arizona and Florida. And you have maybe two or three levels instead of five or whatever it is, fewer levels, fewer games, um, house, try to house uh, the, the minor leaguers either at the complex or near the complex um, and play what feels like intra-squad games. But maybe it's, you know, maybe it's intra-squad sometimes. Maybe it's your double-A versus your triple-A. Maybe sometimes you go f- play other people. Maybe you're not really keeping score or, or in the same way. Maybe you're just um, allowing them to play to, to develop so they don't lose that development time. They're still playing each other. They're still playing baseball. It's still high-level baseball uh, compared to Sandlot or, or Indy League or whatever. It's still good baseball. They're still developing uh, but it's not going to be uh, a season for the record books, if you might say, or or the records will be interesting looking and and even worse than the the major league ones. But my point is basically that these complexes that they play at in spring are pretty big, and they include a lot of things called the backfields, where there's always games going on. So I think if you just rethought the backfields you could almost have like uh, a double a game if it's intra-squad most days and then sometimes between squads other days as as maybe things get those restrictions get lighter uh that's that's the sort of concept i have for the minor leagues right and you have a scenario then in which players could be paid so they're not sitting for months without making any money you have a situation where players can train and build themselves up and continue to develop their skills uh, and avoid long-term injuries that could arise from a prolonged shutdown. I think that's a a concern too, just as we are concerned about how big league pitchers and big league hitters are going to ramp up once spring training gets here. I think the concern is obviously greater for pitchers than for hitters for some of the reasons we've talked about forever. Uh, That same sort of question is lingering in the background. And yeah, it's not too... Uh, to say that the minor leaguers are, are less important, it's just sort of like a hey, and and what about this? And I'm, I'm glad that you know people are, are starting to think about it just a little bit. Uh, I was also starting to think that maybe the Arizona Fall League becomes a more important 
part of the plan this year. You know, it kind of felt like last year's fall league was this sort of like I don't know, like half-assed effort in some ways like the, the quality of the prospects wasn't good and the vibe there was just kind of different compared to previous fall leagues that i've been to but you have to look at something like that as a development tool that may be more important now as well yeah that's an interesting thing i mean one thing that was different about the fall league this year was the timing of it they moved it up was it this this year the first time yeah yeah this was the first time they moved it up where it, it kind of like got closer to the end of the minor league season yeah, and the, the the idea was that they didn't want prospects to have to go home or go somewhere and then come back to the fall league. They didn't want the sort of rest period in between. Um, I think from the prospects' point of view, I caught a fair amount of grumbling that, you know, like I've, I've had major leaguers that I saw in the, in the fall league, well, I suppose I can say his name, Brett Phillips, who, you know, we had an interview for the ages with him where we were just all laughing our asses off eventually you know just over the course of this interview and i told him i talked to him later and i said i love the fall league and he's like i hate the fall league <laughs> <laughs> and uh i think that you know shoving it up right against the end of the season just really uh, exacerbates the whole point of the fall league in some circles is to um, make the the uh, the season longer for prospects that haven't had like a 600 plate appearance season aren't ready for the rigors of a, a full major league season. However, from a prospect standpoint, it's like, oh god, I play year round. Do you want me to go to winter ball after this? You know, it's like, just can I have a break? Um, and, and so there's a little bit of tiredness already built into it. The first time that we saw Mike Trout and Bryce Harper play at the Arizona Fall League, I feel like both were tired. Yeah, and I think in, in their cases, I don't believe they had any injuries the years they played in the Fall League. If I'm mistaken about that, I apologize. Some some players are literally making up time because they were they were hurt and they wanted to get But Trout reps. didn't look like Trout. No, no. And Buster Posey, I think, was another guy that didn't have a good fall league, if I remember correctly. I mean, there's there's yeah. a lot of guys who are very good big league players who at that point in the year were just exhausted. They didn't want to be there. I, I can completely understand from the perspective but, of but most But you're players. right. In this way, this could be a revitalization because I doubt any prospect is going to be exhausted after this season unless they do some crazy double, triple header nonsense. But I don't think they would do that in the minor leagues. It doesn't make any sense to do that in minor leagues where the results don't count. You know, you're not getting TV money in the same way. You know what I mean? Like it's I think I think uh I think they can keep it easy on the on the prospects and then therefore anybody like if if Joe Adele doesn't play in the major leagues this year, um then the fall league, even if it's a repeat for him, would be huge because it would be, you know, another hundred plate appearances or so just to just to add on to what might only be 250, 300 plate appearances on the season for him. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I do think that it could lead to something. However, of course, uh, there is the question of how seasonal this is and um, how much of a bounce back um, there will be in the fall, um, you know, when things get cooler. Uh, those are open questions. Um, but uh, I would like to see the, the AFL. Um, come back a little bit. It wasn't the best AFL experience I'd had. No. Uh, it's still nice to get out when baseball is winding down and you're, this year was the postseason. Normally it's after the postseason and to still see some games and in that setting especially. But uh, yeah, the vibe for the first time in a long time I just felt like had changed. So maybe that's part of the solution. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but I just think teams are going to want to find a way to continue developing at least their top prospects, they should continue developing anybody who's in their organization and paying anybody who's in their organization. Uh, we'll see what that solution is. Uh, let's talk about some of these mailbag questions that have come in. I, we've been rolling them over week over week. And uh, one was a question about Tommy John surgeries. This question came from Brett. He wrote, with the prevalence of Tommy John surgeries in today's game, should we give a bump to pitchers who are in the Tommy John honeymoon period uh, he includes bueller paddock darvish wheeler as a few examples so guys who've had tommy john in the last few years but have been healthy for you know, a couple of seasons since undergoing the procedure so what do you think about that anything different for you with guys who are a couple years removed from from tj there is a honeymoon that's true 
my impression is that the rate of Tommy John surgery um, in baseball is down a little bit uh, per year. Uh, we saw last year um, that it was down. It's down. Uh, 15 was the peak um, for combined major, major and minor league pitchers of nearly 150 uh, surgeries in 2015. And we're down year over year, every year since, down to around 75. So almost, mo- almost halved it. And I think some of that is the uh, improved research into workload, acute to chronic ratio uh, is something I write about in some of my pieces. If you want to read about it, the last two pieces about training in the uh, in the epidemic um, include some stuff about that. Also, we're getting better at mocap, uh, motion capture for technology, where we're putting. Uh, we don't even have to put little dots on everybody, but that's that's how people understand it. I think best is you put little dots on the guy, and they play. They they pitch in front of a green screen, and then you turn them into little bones, basically into into uh, graphics of bones, and you can say things like, "Oh, his humorous is." I don't know. I, I I'm getting out of my my league here, but you know, <laughs> like you could say things about how the uh, the bones and the ligaments and the the the, the structures are interacting. Then you can say, okay, you know, if you follow these things, the stress is is be- is lessened on the elbow and so on and so forth. So I think we are actually doing some good when it comes to injuries. However, the question is about the Tommy John honeymoon, and there is a piece by Jeff Zimmerman that suggests that there's something between like 200 and 400 innings after the first Tommy John that even if you are headed for a second Tommy John, you're safe in that period. The problem is there is also research that command is down uh, in your first attempt back, and if you tra- if you buy somebody um, like Michael Pineda um, or Jameson Tyon, you know that that's like Michael Pineda last year or Jameson Tyon this year, where you're kind of hoping for fifty or seventy five innings, or they're just coming off of it. You never know if that uh, surgery will hold. There's still a fifteen uh, percent failure rate in Tommy Tommy John one, and it's more like you know thirty to forty percent failure in Tommy John two. So. Um, you don't really want to buy a guy right off of the Tommy John, but there is probably a uh, a safer period, which is the uh, second year off of Tommy John. They're, they're probably not going to get Tommy John, and their ligament is is healthy, and their command is there. So there is um, maybe uh, something to that. Um, I guess that would have been somebody like Chris Paddock last year. Yeah, I think it's that year one, like that first full year, not the partial year that I'm sometimes skeptical of, more because of workload management. But the command thing has always been pretty interesting. Uh, We have seen that in the form of of higher walk rates, which I know is more technically control as opposed to command. But even if the command metrics are, are kind of lining up with what we've seen in the past with those walk rates, that's definitely good supporting evidence to be a little more careful with those players. But of those guys that were mentioned by Brett, Bueller, Paddock, Darvish, Wheeler, I don't have any reservations about any of them. I mean, Wheeler Wheeler was the kind of guy that I wanted him to go to a more neutral environment. He ended up in a hitter-friendly environment, so Philadelphia was going to be a problem for him, but he also presents this unique problem I started thinking about in uh, the auction I did last night, where we don't know exactly how long the season is going to be, when it's going to happen, or where it's going to be played. And I wonder, you know, if Zach Wheeler is pitching in Florida all season instead of pitching in Philadelphia, if he's the kind of guy Mm. who becomes more valuable because of the environments that change around him. Now, I know Wheeler specifically has talked about... But if it's Arizona... (laughs) Well, right. If it's Arizona, it's different. And Wheeler has has made a point to say that he, he will be with his family for the birth of his child later on, I think it's this summer... Um, so, yeah. you know, there's, there's that kind of stuff too. That's why, I mean, these, 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 they're people, they're people, you know, we're not going to put them in a, in a hotel and dance for us monkeys. You know, Mike Trout's about to have his first child. No, no, he's not going to miss that for you. You know what I mean? So uh, th- that's why it's not quarantine. That's why I don't think it's going to be a quarantine situation. Um, and, uh, uh, 
so I anyway, uh, but I think it is interesting when you think about Lance McCullers and Shohei Otani, who are uh, did have their surgeries technically in 2018, but they had it so late in 2018 that they haven't pitched yet. So I'd rather, uh, if I'm talking about uh, safe people, maybe Michael Kopech. He's pitched. Uh, he had a surgery in 18. Um, I'm looking at some other MLB years. Johnny Cueto should be safe, but his stuff numbers were terrible when he came back. He did not look like uh, Cueto of old. Um, Garrett Richards should be, uh, quote-unquote, safe, but it's Garrett Richards. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm looking at 2018 surgeries. Jordan Montgomery, I think, is an interesting one. He should be safe. He had a little bit of a velo bump in the spring, and now he's going to be needed more than ever. Uh, so I think Jordan Montgomery is actually in that uh, in that period where I would feel uh, pretty safe about his, uh, his surgery. Corey Seager as a as a position player is interesting. I don't we don't think we've studied. Uh, I haven't seen anything that says that uh, position players really hurt. Um, at the plate, uh, due to Tommy John, but, um, you know, there, Corey Seager is like consistently underrated. He's a plus hit tool guy. When you look at it, uh, with power, um, you know, there's still a great season left in Corey Seager. I think, um, Denilson Lamette had his surgery in 2018, so he should be fine. Uh, Taiwan Walker is an interesting one cause he had a surgery in 2018, but I wouldn't say that the health outcomes since have been great. Um, and I'm uh, running at the end of my list. I'm looking through uh, John Rogale's... Rafael Montero is interesting. Uh, 2018, uh, Tommy John, and now probably uh, the setup man to Jose Leclerc, who's uh, kind of a, a command-risky uh, closer. Yeah, and look um, at how well he pitched last year when he came back. A 34-5 yeah. to five strikeout to walk ratio, 248 mm-hmm. ERA, .97 whip in 29 innings, so... He came back, got through almost a half season. I kind of forgot about Rafael Montero, if I'm being completely honest. I thought uh, Jolie Rodriguez was kind of interesting when they brought him in. I think he was in Japan for the last couple seasons. I thought Rodriguez might have been the next in line behind Leclerc, but I think it would be wise to at least consider Montero as one of your like AL-only reserve options if you're mm-hmm. looking for some some hope for some late saves. Yeah, yeah. Um, 2017 surgeries. Um, I don't know. Will Smith seems pretty safe. Um, yeah, I'm not worried about in him terms at this of point. health. Yeah, Trevor May uh, had his in 2017. Alex Reyes had his in 2017, but uh, he's kind of he kind of strikes me as a Garrett Richards types at this point. So, uh, and that's it. You know, I think if you're talking about you had t- surgery in 2016, by this time you probably are kind of out of close to being out of that 400 uh, 400 inning uh, uh, safe period. You know, yeah. So definitely some interesting names though that came up uh, there in the sense of like Alex Reyes, maybe just being a little forgotten about and being a couple years removed is the, a nice little sweet spot to think about. Uh, so hopefully that answered mm. your question, Brett. I think Nate Evaldi. Yeah. He's already had two, though, right? That was the second, I think, yeah. I I want to root for a guy like that because I think we, not you and I, but I think people in general, we all sort of underappreciate how difficult it is to rehab back from major surgery because these guys do it at such an astonishingly high rate. And I yeah. understand that the treatment and the care they receive is a big part of that. But there's a, there's a big mental hurdle and a lot of physical hurdles to leap over as you get that recovery like completed and to do it twice and to keep going you know that says and, and a lot. what does it say about the underlying mechanics or uh pitch selection or whatever it is that they had to have a second one you know what i mean yeah this wasn't the first one can be overuse in college or um as a kid um you know some something there or maybe even bad mechanics that you you fix uh upon your return from the first one there are people who have a first one and then have a pretty good career after that um all the way through but to have a first one and then come back from that and say okay uh we've we're going to be monitoring him and we're going to be on top of this and we're going to do this and do this and do it we change the mechanics and then have a second one is like well something's going on here 
Um, so it's what I think of Andrew Haney had his in, in, uh, July of 2016. And I wouldn't say that he's, uh, safe health wise. No, in a similar way. He said enough other injuries that give me some pause. And I I think in the right circumstances, like I I got him in the auction I was in last night. Sure. But I just, I, I think you have to account for the increased likelihood that he's going to have a reduced workload in any season regardless of the length of that season. Uh, If anybody wants to look, just this is a a really valuable list. Uh, John Rogale, um, I hope I say his name right. It has a bunch of E's and O's in it. And if I said it in the German way, you'd laugh at me. Oh, well, then you should do that. uh, (laughs) I guess it would be Rogale. 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 Anyway, uh, it looks actually a little bit more Dutch than German. Um, but, uh, John Rogale, uh, is at MLB player analysts without the T. All right. So MLB player analysts. Yeah. Give him a follow. I think I've, I think I follow him or I've definitely seen his stuff before. So I should, yeah, circle he back used to that. write more. Uh, the good thing is on his Twitter bio, there's a Google doc that has every Tommy John surgery. So I know that Jeff Zimmerman's done a lot of research just using that. Um, and it has like recovery dates and times and you can just kind of, uh, you can do your own deep diving in there. It's, it's a really valuable database. Yeah, that is a really good resource to have available, but thanks a lot for the question, Brett. I think that set us up for some good dialogue there. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation, but not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. For 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code RATES at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com. Enter promo code rates for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code rates. All right, let's go to a league structural question. This one comes from James, and he wants to know what's the better in season free agent auction bidding system? Is it having the highest bidder get the player equal to the amount of their bid, or having the highest bidder get the player for one more dollar? Then the second highest bid, which Tout Wars used a few years ago, it's the Vickery system. It's mm-hmm. developed by a, I believe, a Nobel Prize winning economist. They're not Vickery anymore. They don't do it anymore. I think people, including maybe myself, in a younger, less thoughtful version of myself, complained about it, and uh, I think it was put to a vote at some point, and it was ultimately uh, removed from the league. It's a little disappointing if. Somebody bid $89 for Jordan Alvarez, which they did in... Um, I'm sorry. I think someone schooled me on this. I think it's Jordan Alvarez. Anyway, um, uh, somebody did that in labor this last year. And I think it's a little disappointing if they then get him for $54 or whatever. You You committed that number. I like the economic principle a lot. I like the spirit of the Vickery. Of the rule, of the Vickery. I, I, I do yeah. like the idea. I think there almost needs to be some sort of like all-in penalty, you know, when you do get reckless with your bid. That's what I'm saying. Like if someone bids $89 on somebody, they should pay $89. Right. Out but, of 100 it, But at the lower end of the scale, if let's just say I bid $8 out of 100 or 80 out of 1,000, pick whatever thing your league uses – and nobody else bids more than one or ten, shouldn't I? Like, in that case, I kind of feel like I shouldn't get dinged as much because I wasn't. I, I don't know. Like maybe you can, maybe you could take the magnitude or the difference between the first and second bid and adjust the amount that you pay based on that. 
So in your your Alvarez example, if the second highest bidder you know was fifty, half the budget, and the high bid was eighty nine, maybe you split the difference instead of going plus one. Mm. So you go seventy is the there's, price. So there's an overbid penalty. Um, also, uh, it's interesting to think like what is the goal here? What is the goal? What is the goal? So it's called free agency auctioning, right? And so I guess ideal, quote unquote, would be that you all basically step to the table again every week and everybody's up and you know, somebody nominates a player and everybody bids on him just like as if it was a draft, right? If sweet. that's the case, if that would be kind of fun, although time consuming. Time consuming, the, but fun, yeah. The thing about it, though, then Vickery actually is the best approximation of that because there's nobody that would if the bidding was at 40 would jump bid to 89. Right. Yeah. You would, you'd limp up and maybe you'd get halfway. Maybe you'd get to 70. I don't know. Like, that, that blind bidding element of it is, it's very, it's very different than the way players are actually auctioned. Yeah. Um, so I guess the question is just, you think about your goals, think about the overbidder, uh, think about the small bids. Those do seem like slightly different situations. Think about what you're trying to approximate. Um, and um, I think personally, as someone who's not great at FAAB, I would rather it's Vickery because I find myself, you know, free and clear $10 sometimes or I'm just kicking myself um, or just the dollar short on a, somebody that I that I had been debating putting a dollar two on, you know, but I will say that Vickery will probably inflate your FAB, uh, submissions across the board. Yeah. I mean, the game theory aspect of it is, well, I can bid as much as I want, as long as someone else doesn't do the same <laughs> and, yeah. and, and go way <laughs> over. And then, you know, that's how you end up with a right. player that costs 85% of your budget. The, so I, the question is almost fundamentally different to the player when they're playing, when they're doing Vickery, because the, the question to in Vickery is what is the absolute maximum that you would pay? Yeah. And then the question in the other style is what, what do you think this player is worth? And I, I kind of like answering the, what do you think this player is worth question more than how much am I willing to pay? Yeah, I think so. So uh, th- I, that's, fundamentally why I don't like Vickery here, but I don't think I'd be as opposed to it if I had a commissioner implement it as I would have been in the past. Uh, like Upon further I review, we, I do like it as a, a way of, of trying to uh, accomplish those means. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe uh, non-Vickery is, is slightly better, but um, I'll tell you, I wish a lot of times after things were run, I wished it was victory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't can't change it after the fact, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot for the question, James. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit, or tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. The Black Tux has an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it out one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with the code DRAFT. That's theblacktux.com code DRAFT for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. All right, so this next email, you know, is one of my favorite emails we've received uh, while doing this show because I can appreciate the competitive spirit 
of the people involved. It's just the kind of thing that I think my friends growing up and I would do if we all, <laughs> if we were all still kind of as close as we were then. We might have landed on this. This email comes from Michael. It's a long email, but I feel like I should read pretty much all of it. He writes, Derek, I never ended up submitting a Project Goat entry. I had something else come up, and I thought you might find it entertaining. So I, I read the first line. I'm like, okay, yeah, well, we're all we're all dealing with different things. I didn't expect this. Obviously, there isn't a whole lot to do right now. I have a text group with 11 friends from college. 12 of us have been in a fantasy football league since graduation 15-plus years ago. A few guys are in some fantasy baseball leagues with me as well. Someone in the group floated the idea that we all download a pedometer app on our phone and have a step competition. We found one that seemed to work, and everyone downloaded it. We ran a tester day to make sure everything was running smooth. The guys who were first and second on the test day became captains and drafted two teams. The challenge would be one week long, and it would be total team steps for the whole week. It all went downhill from there. We failed to take into account that we're a bunch of competitive assholes with nothing to do. We started walking constantly. We split the text group into two team groups so we could talk strategy. We posted videos of us walking and giving psych-up speeches as well as talking trash. We were up at 5 a.m. walking. We were out till midnight walking. I spent last Sunday walking circles in my garage for four hours while it rained. Guys ran in place in their living rooms for hours on end. We would load up backpacks with beers, snacks, cocktails, and extra battery packs lest we be caught with a dead phone slash pedometer miles from home. We ignored our wives and families and jobs if we still had them. It became a race of attrition with guys spending 10-plus hours a day on the move. Several guys walked a full marathon several days in a row. This is where it gets even better. I kept track of all of our data on a spreadsheet. Check out some of the numbers that got posted. It ruined our life for a week, and it was a disaster, <laughs> although we did get out and walk. <laughs> on a different a spreadsheet. Yeah, a spreadsheet. A spreadsheet. <laughs> they went old school roto and scored this in a spreadsheet. Oh, I mean, they're not old, old school. Old, old school roto is pad and paper in a newspaper, but like yeah. early 90s, hey, let's fire up Lotus and, and type in some stats. Like That's the level <laughs> that they reached. Um, uh, it also concludes with a, a nice compliment about the show and, and Sleeper in the Bust, um, our friends over there, and uh, a beer recommendation. Next time you're in Michigan, see if you can track down beers from Big Lake Brewery out of Holland. They're small but growing and make better beer that rises above the glob, in my opinion. Lots of good hazy stuff. Thanks for the work and take it easy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I think the subject line of the email was a very different kind of league, and it was when we were starting to get KBO requests and different things as we were trying to come up with oh new ways to play. God. But I, I wouldn't, I never would have thought of that specific thing to be competitive about. But I love the structure, and I kind of want to set up a walking league with staffers at the Athletic. I, I kind of want to like have a draft and and really, really get into this. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, that is hilarious, dude. I guess uh, we haven't looked into enough fantasy random things. I mean, I did see I did see that Bovada had some weather lines. Did anybody get into betting on the weather? Oh yeah, Nando started a group for that too. <laughs> <laughs> our guy Nando Defino, one of our bosses. He well, apparently, like uh, the you know weather, you know the weather report or the weather projections are not very good. That's what they tell me. You know. Especially like more than a day out. Um, but uh, yeah, I just did you hear me? That that was the um, ooh. What I hear about uh, getting the most out of your pedometer is <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you, <laughs> Do you think anybody cheated? Like uh, put their pedometer on their hamster or something? <laughs> <laughs> I should test it. I should actually like clip my phone to hazel's collar and just have her like run See around how many for a extra bit. miles you can get <laughs> that's another way to do it like put the pedometers on the pets and uh see whose pets are the most active <laughs> oh well i'd win that one my, my cats are pretty much outdoor cats right now and they go pretty far to go kill their their mice you know what's great about it? Then they, they come back. I don't know where they kill the mice. They bring the mice all the way back and they decapitate and disembowel the rats and then leave just the head and the guts 
um, in a couple places in our in our house. Oh, yeah, that's. Uh, I don't even know where the rest of the body goes. Like, did they eat it? They eat Gross. the rest of it. You yeah. think? Yes, I think they're eating the rest of it. If there's if there's no evidence oh. of the rest of it in the house, that's the only place it could be going. I feed them twice a day. Well, they have the bloodlust. Oh, it's so weird to stumble on just a head and guts. I will tell you, Whew. it bugs my wife every time. And then, of course, she's like, it's too gross. Like, you have to do it. And like, I'm like, oh, God, I find it gross, too. <laughs> <laughs> and yet there you are cleaning it up. Anyway, so I so draft me first and like three cats that I can put pedometers on. Yeah, in the in the cleaning up mouse parts league, Eno goes in the Don't first round. Don't draft me in that one. Uh, you got a lot of experience. <laughs> uh, but that was a great email and uh, a great idea. So if if you're inspired to do something like that, you know, let us know. Uh, he's at Eno Saris on Twitter. I'm at Derek Van Riper. It does remind me to give an update about the various uh, fantasy other things. Um, uh, projects that we've got. Uh, we haven't gotten that many uh, round two of GOAT. So um, I don't know if we have different crowds that listen and read, uh, but I did present the 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 final results. Um, and after we discussed them and I and I put the twist in there, um, I know that some people have asked me to, to share the spreadsheet that I put in that uh, that I put in that post for round two. Uh, but my my wish is that you copy and paste that spreadsheet uh, that I gave. I, I we can't have people entering their information on that spreadsheet and then thinking they've submitted it because then somebody else will just enter over it. <laughs> so uh, we didn't find a good way for everyone to just sort of enter it and then have it come to us. So what you should do is take copy and paste that information into your own Google Doc, um, then uh, write in your things and then send it back to us. Um, so I don't know if uh, the process has been different. Feel free to email us, and we can give you the spreadsheet again. Anybody who has a spreadsheet from the first time, all you have to do is look at the leaderboard, see your targets, and send it in again. Um, so, you know, uh, that's a, a that's a call for for more entries into Goat Two. B, uh, I looked into Korean uh, fantasy. It wasn't feasible with the the group that I'd put together. Uh, in terms of the data wasn't clean enough, um, and uh, the, the the time, the workload, it it just didn't work for the people I put together. However, I I wouldn't be surprised if there were some KBO DFS games. Uh, it's a little bit rough on kind of five by five roto people uh, because there's only twelve teams, I think. Um, so whatever solution of 10 teams or whatever solution you come up with for roto is going to be weird. It's going to have really small lineups or really small leagues. Uh, but DFS is certainly still possible, and um, I will be writing a preview of the KBO season with sleepers uh, and players to watch uh, for Friday, uh, so watch out for that. And then on top of that, uh, Japan um, looks like it's going to open up soon, and Japanese baseball has 12 teams, um, and just makes the, like Roto a little bit more likely. I'm working with somebody, um, or I am consulting somebody who's doing the work uh, who has done fantasy Japanese baseball before and um, I can't speak to exactly what the format would be but it sounds like it would have a very low entry fee um, small uh, prizes maybe a, a slightly bigger overall prize kind of NFBC-ish feeling um, and but uh, maybe shorter lineups and smaller leagues so maybe a 10-team league with no MICI three outfielders um, maybe six pitchers, that type of deal. Um, so uh, once that sort of is, is concretized, I will do a, a Japanese uh, preview. And by the time we're doing that, I feel like we will have an update about baseball. There is a news today that the uh, PGA Golf Tour is uh, planning to have events starting in mid-June. Um, and so I'm hoping that means spring training for baseball starts somewhere around mid June and, uh, the baseball season starts, uh, around independence day. Um, so, uh, you know, I, that's, uh, I know that some people will say that's super hopeful and some people will say, why do we have to wait that long? And, uh, this has come really pol- pol- politicized and, 
I'm currently inundated with data uh, and graphs and uh, studies um, that I that from both sides, and I find it uh, less conclusive than uh, some of the narratives we see online. So um, I do think that it is possible um, we have a baseball season this year and that it starts sometime in July. You can't even estimate properly like how many beers I'm going to shotgun on the 4th of July if the 4th of July is the <laughs> day. Like, it's, it's going to be the day that I turn into Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's going to be incredible <laughs> if that happens to be opening day. And I'm not like the guy that just bangs the table and gets real excited about the 4th of July. Like It's a nice day to hang out with family, friends, and cook out and, and watch baseball. But like my level of excitement for the day will be at an all-time high if that's when opening day uh, turns out to be. Uh, very important note from an email we previously uh, acknowledged on the show. I missed this line uh, on the air. Uh, this was a, a question from Bruce, I think, about the rosters and players who had been sent down. But one of the last lines of the email read, and Fleetwood Mac is not Yacht Rock. They are a genre <laughs> unto themselves. That can't be true. There is no... there. Literally. Is there any band that you would say is a genre unto themselves? I mean, like, Radiohead transcended genres and is of three or four different genres, but they're not a genre themselves. You could hate, you could legitimately, if you hate things, hate music, you could hate some Radiohead albums and genuinely love other Radiohead albums because their their cross-genre efforts are so vast. Yeah, and like, uh, we, like, there's got to be other people in the Fleetwood Mac space. You know, <laughs> like, the only person I can think of that may not have anyone that's like him is like Weird Al. <laughs> Can you imagine being like the number two though in in the Weird Al genre? <laughs> like we've we've had Weird Al for thirty years now, and yet like I. I'm know. the lesser-known joke music guy. <laughs> Who opens for him? Does Carrot Top open for Weird Al? <laughs> oh, my God. Someone's going to reply with, like, a lesser-known music comp. Like, Jack Black? Is Jack Black in the Weird, <laughs> yeah. weird Al space? Like, the Tenacious D project, I guess, is kind of Weird Al-ish. Close as you can get. <laughs> Adam Sandler's old albums. Like, those are just comedy oh, albums. The guitar, oh, gosh. Right? We just came up with three people in space. There is no band that's a genre of themselves. <laughs> Clowns with guitars. Is that the, is that the genre? <laughs> I, I actually don't dislike any of those people I mentioned, except for Carrot Top. He scares me. Yeah. He's, he's a clown a, without was, the clown paint. It was very strange when they... Uh, clowned me and Carrot Top uh, simultaneously, or uh, depends on your your look on it on MLB Network by um, by saying something. By what did they do? They, they oh, they they were interviewing they, Carrot they, Top when the winter meetings were in Vegas, and they cut to a shot of my you on the show. I think because of the hair. Yeah, and they said something like "Who wore it better" or something, <laughs> and. And I was like, uh, you know, I get the Weird Al thing all the time, so I'm cool with it. I, I'm not, I'm not offended at all, and I think it's funny. But I, they, I find him scary, though, in some way. I think it's like the obvious facial surgery, or just the Vegas vibe, um, and also the comedy is weird. Is not necessarily my style of comedy so the whole package to me is just very strange um and then he was obviously not enthused <laughs> yeah i just don't get a good vibe from that guy so that's that's why i look at him i'm like this is a clown not wearing the clown paint and i, I don't like clowns very much so yeah my brother-in-law is like deathly afraid of them <laughs> uh, yeah i just don't like them but uh, I don't know. They're not. They're not for me. They are for some people. Uh, we're not going to do beer of the week individual selections. But you know, you have your your bracket uh, that's available now, right? Yes, that's a good way to do beer of the week. the The beer of the week it, it will be determined, and it'll be the beer to rule them all, basically, because I'm starting a 64 beer bracket. And the problem is, I found some software that can uh, automate a 32 beer bracket for me. Uh, so I have to get from 64 to 32. So what I'm doing is going to Twitter to help boil down the 64 to 32. And, uh, the first four, um, matchups I put out there already. Um, and 
this is the idea is grocery store beer. So we talk about beers on this show, and I think it's probably frustrating to some people to say, "Well, I can't get that beer." You know, that beer has local distribution. Uh, like I've talked about Humble Sea before, that beer is never available outside of Santa Cruz unless there's a global pandemic. So uh, what I wanted to do was the one of the, the first round matchups that I posted were Coors Light against Bud Light, uh, Allagash White against uh, Blue Moon. Um, Lagunitas IPA against Goose IPA, and uh, the the hardest thing was treading the line between like what is actually national available and what is not. And so maybe Allagash White is only available in like eighteen or nineteen states. Um, so maybe I messed that one up. Uh, the last one was the dark one was Old Rasputin against Black Butte, uh, D- Deschutes Black Butte Porter. Um, and, uh, those aren't going to be everywhere, but in California, I can get them at the Safeway. So if there is a bias, it's slightly towards what's in my grocery store. Uh, but I also think that judging from the votes so far, um, that, uh, the winner will be a beer that we all can get because there are a fair amount of votes like the Deschutes Black Reporter uh, got fewer votes so far, got about 20% fewer votes than the other three matchups. Um, so I do think this will actually kind of work uh, to set this up where uh, at some point, um, you know, Bud Light, actually Coors Light is beating Bud Light, so Coors Light will go up against, uh, Coors Light will have to def- defeat like uh, Pacifico Tecate at some point, um, and it'll have to, maybe beat uh, a light IPA, but at some point it'll have to go up against an IPA. Um, and uh, I, I'm re- really interested in to see what happens there. I'm not sure that I can predict it. I mean, Coors Light is a very uh, popular beer. It, it is. Uh, it was very popular for me uh, at a much younger age. Yeah, so I, I do. Uh, the first round is interesting because what I, I'm not doing seedings, and I'm just like trying to put beer like beer against like beer up. Uh, but uh, I'm trying to keep it to like beers as long as possible. But at some point, when we get to the elite eight or so, um, we're going to start seeing beers go up against different styles. And uh, aside from the bracket, of course, supportbeer.com, up and running, more and more breweries added to that in the last uh, week or so as well. So be sure to check that out for some local options that are available for pickup and in some cases even for delivery as well. If you're enjoying this show on a platform that allows you to rate and review it, please take the time to do that. Tell your friends if you think they'd like the show as well. We do have a 90-day free trial available to The Athletic at theathletic.com slash free 90 days. If you're in a position to support the site with a paid subscription, you can get 40% off at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Thank you to all of you for listening, but also for supporting the site in, in these uh, times and, and always. Uh, you can also reach us via email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com if you want to get in touch with us that way. Be sure to spell out and if you go that route. And on Twitter, he's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.